Welcome to Zero Trust 30. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and this is the show that helps you make sense of the cybersecurity sensation that is Zero Trust. For more information on AppGate's Zero Trust solution, you can check out appgate.com forward slash ZTNA to learn everything that we have to offer there. But that's not why we're here to talk today. We are excited to bring in a, a new guest. Um, his name is Steve Hazelhorst. I think I got that right, Steve. Uh, and he, he was recently named the Zero Trust Program Lead for the FDIC. Uh, he's an experienced network architect skilled in information assurance, information security, troubleshooting, security, and network administration. Uh, Steve previously led Zero Trust efforts for the U.S. Air Force as ACCA6 Chief Technology Officer uh, and was an enterprise architect uh, and a network, oh, sorry, a enterprise architect and a network architect at MITRE, a nonprofit organization that, through f- federally funded R and D centers and public-private partnerships, work across government to tackle challenges uh, to the safety, stability, and well-being of the U.S. So, it's awesome to have you here, Steve. You're highly credentialed. We're really, really excited to hear the uh, the expertise that you bring to the table when we're talking about zero trust for the federal government. Uh, and with me is a returning guest, Mr. Michael Friedrich, uh, who oversees federal technology strategy and innovation for AppGate Federal Division. His deep engineering knowledge and co-location, uh, virtualization, cybersecurity, zero trust networks, and networking, uh, as well as hosted solutions designs. And Michael, you've been here before. Welcome back. Everyone is used to your voice at this point. One of the two of you say hello to the audience so that we know that you are both here and human. Hey, hello, uh, uh, George. And uh, thanks for having me on. I, I really wanted to uh, get started with congratulating you on the podcast. I've been following it from the beginning. Uh, nice. You guys have had some pretty cool uh, speakers and covering good content. So uh, thank you for having me on board. Absolutely. Thanks for that. Good, good morning, George. But I have a I have a great question, George, to get us started. If I'm a returning guest on the third time, is this like Saturday Night Live and I get the purple <laughs> coat with a number three on it? I mean, I just I want to know, like returning champion, right? We could sort something out. Got to get the coat. I don't know what it is, but we'll figure exactly. something out for you. Maybe think, a hat. Think, there you go. Uh, you well, know, we we'll gotta go. I gotta go with my my favorite sports caps, though. So I think the coat works better. Well, we've got, and obviously the audience can't see, but we're uh, at RSA here coming up. We'll be giving out some fun zero trust, zero BS hats for everyone to come and grab. Oh, I love so it. You, can, you can get some of those. So anyways, um, back to the topic at hand, we are talking federal perspectives and the march to zero trust. Before we get into that, we like to basically allow our guests to vent and talk about the things that are bugging them. And Steve, given that you're new here, we've heard Michael talk about what's bugging him quite a bit. Let's start with you. What's bugging you right now? Awesome. Yeah, thanks. And uh, like I said, I've been listening, so I was kind of expecting you to ask me this question. And I've been thinking a, bit, a little bit about my answer here. And I think what's bugging me the most in the in the cyber or sewer trust space, it's the phrase, it's all about the data. Mm. And it's not that I don't understand, right? When, when you start zero trust, you certainly start uh, with the end in mind. And the end is clearly protecting the data. So we all really understand that that's it. Um, but I think the, the word or the phrase without context um, confuses people and makes zero trust a lot harder than it needs to be. Um, when we say this phrase, we really need to give the context. Uh, we need to uh, understand that the data, solving the data portion of it is really the hardest part of zero trust. And if you're starting, if you try to start solving that problem, 
uh, you're, you're definitely going to end up in uh, analysis paralysis. Yep. You're, you're going to be seeing how hard it is and you, you're just not going to make uh, the forward moment to uh, progress that you need to do to, uh, to get out with your zero trust strategy. Yeah, it's almost like starting with the hardest thing, right? Yeah, correct. So that's what's bugging me. That's fair enough. Mr. Friedrich, what's bugging you? A particular word that I keep hearing CIOs use, metrics. Everybody likes mm. to throw this word around and nobody seems to know what it means. And so you walk into meeting after meeting and there's no commonality. There's no clear definition. It's what they've decided it is for that organization or that sub-organization at that moment in time. And everybody expects that you're just going to make it miraculously work without a definition. And so that's the thing that bugs me most is you always walk in and get these new definitions and you're expected to solve it right then and there on the spot and have the perfect answer. And the very honest answer is there is never a perfect answer. It's, it's working together to figure out what information helps lead to better decisions. And that metric could be for anything, whether yeah, that's yeah. personnel, systems, data access, you name it. So that's, that's my, that's what's bugging me is the, the next abused word, metrics. I, I agree, Mike. What, what matters to you the most is really what your metrics should be, and we don't have, we won't all have the same metrics, so we can't use for that. Look for that universal metrics that's going to exactly. address it. I, I love when I walk in, and that's the first word I hear. You just got to smile and say, "Okay, let's define <laughs> it." Yeah. What matters you just to walk you? Walk in, you shake the CIO's hand, and he just says, "Show me the metrics." Whether that's, well, that's, that's cost, <laughs> performance, scalability, access control, deny, yeah. it, 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 every one of them is going to have their own version of what that metric means. And you're never going to have the perfect answer to make everyone happy. So it's a question of finding out what do they want to measure, why, and what, what are they going to gain from it? Totally. Right? Totally. Because it's a number. Numbers are the most abused game on earth, Right. I talk to five different statistical analysis folks. They'll give you five different answers. And, you know, it's like looking at an actuarial chart. Why? Why would you do that to yourself? And this really is buggy, Mike. Well, he asked. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, let's get to the topic at hand. So it is coming up on the first year anniversary of the White House issuing its executive order on improving the nation's cybersecurity. Um, That's just around the corner. It's, we've also got the, you know, the, the bipartisan infrastructure bills being passed, and we're starting to see funding trickle in uh, to aid in federal cybersecurity efforts there. You know, the executive order um, mandates that agencies and departments execute a zero-trust security strategy. You've got CISA, uh, CSA, DOD, among others, um, leading this charge towards zero trust. And, and basically, one of the questions that come up is like, is the timeline fast enough? Is this going in the right, in, in the right direction? Um, and yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today with the two of these guys is basically getting some of those federal perspectives. Uh, so, you know, as we're, we're going to these federal cybersecurity experts to get valuable perspectives on, uh, what's the now and, and what's next for these efforts. So let's really just kind of dive into it. And I think Steve, obviously we'll start with you cause you've got some, some insider knowledge here, you know, given the current world events, uh, do you think that the the executive order mandate and the timeline to move towards zero trust is is fast enough to help mitigate you know the the, the big threats that are looming? Yeah, so um, thanks. Uh, it's a really good question. Um, for starters, uh, I hear a lot of arguments over whether it's fast enough or it's uh, too slow, and and certainly they're all good questions. Uh, a lot of different opinions. 
Um, I think uh, they can be uh, defensible in, in both sides. Uh, honestly, I don't think, uh, although the timeline is important, I, I don't think that that should be what we were fo- should be focusing on right now. Um, the fact that the federal government and the DOD are taking are, are creating such a large movement uh, around zero trust, they're, they're, uh, a lot of people are coming together, having the conversations. You don't know how many uh, calls, weekly calls, daily calls. I have, everybody knows about zero trust. Everybody knows that we need to adopt it. Uh, that to me, it's pretty incredible. Uh, in the, I've been in the DOD or the cyberspace for over 20 years. I've never seen a movement like this uh, with people all coming together, trying to help each other out, trying to understand how they implement certain portions of zero trust. And in large part, uh, it's got to do with uh, certainly what ind- industry's done, what, what Forrester started, uh, but, I think there's been a lot of validation that's that's had to the movement because the federal government, the DOD, um, have all taken it very seriously. Uh, NIST issuing the the uh, special publication on zero trust was massive, and now uh, CISA, CSA, DOD all rallying to uh, deploy guides, uh, instructions, etc. Um, it's something that I've never seen in the past, and I, I think that's really where the conversation should be. Um, we're probably never going to be fast enough. The, the threat is here and it, it's, it's in front of us. And, and ideally, we'd all want to have zero trust tomorrow. Uh, we do need to understand it's a journey. It's going to take a long time. And in some cases, depending on your organization, it might be uh, a, a two to three year endeavor or, or a 10 year endeavor. And you got to be comfortable with that. Um, and every little improvement that you make uh, towards zero trust, you're just making your organization that much more secure and better. So. Uh, I think that's what's more important than, than the actual timeline. That makes a lot of sense. Michael, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I have a lot of similar thought, right? It, you got to start somewhere. And if you try to say that you got to be done in two weeks, you know, it's never going to happen, right? These agencies and departments are just too big. The journey and the beginning of the journey, I think, is the part that I keep waiting to see agencies come out of this consultative phase on. And... and put hard lines down. These are our goals to achieve by when, and these are the technologies that need to happen in order to do that, right? My biggest fear in the timeline and the biggest enemy of progress is, well, it's just, I'm just going to stay where I am because I'm afraid to make a move. I've invested in this technology and I'm just going to try to make that work and call it zero trust. You know, the, the enemy of progress is do nothing. And there is going to be some of that. And that's the part that worries me, which is it's not the timeline. It's the fact that it's an executive order versus a congressional mandate, right? You want agencies to move. You've got to give them something measurable, something funded, something that they're going to have to report on the Hill. And so I I think the executive order is great. I don't think it, I think it starts a journey that Congress needs to pick up, I think is the message I'm trying to come to, right? And you don't want an executive order from one administration to that maybe can get canceled by the next one or get changed by the next one. You want to get this cemented in law. And so I think we've got to start measuring that journey in steps to Steve's point, right? You got to start. That's what's important. But we need to start measuring that success because the next big breaches, they're already happening or they've already happened and they just haven't been revealed. They're happening right now. Exactly. Excited by the progress but I want to see it get picked up more. Right. And that's my big concern in that. 
Yeah, Mike, to your point, avoid that analysis paralysis. You don't contemplate the problem forever. Uh, figure out where you start and go. Exactly. I mean, I, I keep, it's funny, I meet with some some agencies who say, well, I've got this vendor or that vendor, and they check this micro segmentation box. So I'm going to say I have zero trust. Is that really zero trust? Or are you just checking a box so that you can get the EO off, right? Yeah. And that's where I'm kind of, I'm stuck in the, I need them to understand that, right? And you need them to understand the journey, the process, and that it's not a point in time. Zero trust never ends. It's a journey that should be a lifetime journey for these agencies if you're truly embracing it, because it's it's not about the data, right? I mean, you know, Dr. Cunningham was just commenting on this on a post on, on LinkedIn just this morning, in fact, where he's like, let's disabuse ourselves of this knowledge, right? Zero trust is, 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 is an ongoing process. It's not a single technology. It's not a single process. This is about involving yourself in understanding not just trusting your users, but deciding what their access needs to be, what systems and what access needed under what conditions at that moment in time. And, and so, he's right. Yeah, so you, you made a really interesting comment there. You said uh, it's the checkbox or the OMB thing. I, I would advise people not to make it a checklist. Like in the government, we like to make a checklist. We like to say, hey, hit A, B, C, D, and you're good. Uh, it's, it's so much more than that. You, you got to uh, build your strategy. You got to really think about the whole picture. And, and like I, 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 you'll hear me say, I commend OMB over and over for what they've done. They've gotten it started. They've gotten it kicked off. But don't look at it as a checklist of just I, I got to do the, the few things that OMB asked me to do, and and we're done. So great point. Yeah, and, and it's that journey, and I'm so excited to see the journey start. Right, and and I take it from a technologist point of view. How can we help them understand their mission and their goals? Right. It, that, that's the biggest thing, right? Because if you don't understand what they're trying to achieve, no one can help them solve the problem. So that kind of leads into the next question though, right? Obviously it's a journey. You have to start somewhere. What are the most urgent needs and places for zero trust implementation today? Or does it vary from, from agency to agency? Uh, there, there's two, uh, two questions really embedded uh, in that question. Uh, what are the needs and the places? Um, I think the, the needs is a little bit uh, easier, in my opinion. Um, we have uh, challenges with identity access management. I, I don't think you'll find a single zero trust practitioner that won't tell you, hey, get your identity access management straight. Um, that's foundational to make everything work. You got to make that happen. So I think that that part of the question is rather easy. Um, the harder part is uh, what's the place to start? Um, there, there's so many areas and places in the federal space that need the help. It's not just federal, but industry. But since we're having the federal conversation, uh, my previous experience, of course, in DOD, uh, DOD, we're trying to become more agile. We're trying to become more uh, effective in war fighting. And we know that the next cyber war, uh, the large next cyber war will be won by, by those that communicate effectively and are able to uh, carry out their information operations um, to execute uh, the, the kinetic or non-kinetic effects. So things like uh, JIC2 and, and DOD and able to have that joint all domain uh, command and control are critical, uh, but it doesn't mean uh, that it's, it's more or less important. Uh, everybody in, in the DOD space or the federal space has a mission, has something to execute and, and zero trust enables you in, in so many different ways. Uh, I find myself now supporting the FDIC uh, our mission uh, to maintain the stability and the public confidence in the nation's financial system. That, that's pretty damn important. Uh, none of us want to 
see a, a great repression like in the 90s happen again. And, and that's what this organization is responsible to, for preventing. So uh, incredibly important mission. And, and that goes along all the federal space. So I would say it's a little hard to just kind of call one out. Well, first, let me say I 100% agree that identity is the beginning of all conversation. I mean, George, you've heard me say this on you know, two or three yep. previous podcasts. If you don't have a good sense of identity, and Steve, you and I, you know, we've talked about this in your previous DOD past, it all starts there. If you can't tell me who and what that is, everything else falls down when you start zero trust because you've got to be able to five W's is always there. Who, what, where, when, and why. That applies to zero trust so well. From an urgent need perspective, you know, when I get that question, Steve, my, my honest answer is tell me what you're most afraid of. If this got breached, are people going to die? Is the banking system going to fall over? You know, it, are you not going to be able to complete that combat mission? Tell me what the most afraid of is, because if you overreach, it, it is going to fail. Right. Um, so you've, I always tell folks, don't try to boil the ocean. Yeah. Define your use cases of what has to be solved right now. Let's solve those. And then you can expand as you get as you learn more about it, as you get more users into it as you convert more systems, right? Because if you take an agency department like your former world in the Air Force, you're not going to convert that many hundreds of thousands of people in a day. It's just not going to happen. It will fail. Absolutely. Um, it's just too many interdependent systems, too many widespread emission. And while there's great commercial examples, you know, customers like DXC that, you know, have converted, you know, 140,000 people in, in a matter of months, that's a different they're living in a less complex environment. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, we've got to help agencies, in my mind, and the government understand this is this is the critical runs, right? So if you're classifying, and I'm going to use the bad word data you brought up earlier, classify your problem. What are you what are you most afraid of? And let's wrap zero trust around that first and then expand. But to me, that's the urgent need, right? It's going to be different by every agency, George. 100% agree. When we're talking... 800-207, a lot of these guiding documents from CISA and NIST. How, how, does, how does accountability get held in the federal space for a common definition of zero trust? And you know, I, think, I think, Steve, you, know, you mentioned it as well, right? Is that you, know, you might do some micro-segmentation and call it zero trust. So like, how, how, does, how does one measure themselves as to whether or not they're going down the right track or not? Yeah, so I, I love that question a lot. Um, I um, always tell people, um, you've got to make zero trust your own. Um, you can't have, um, you can't expect uh, somebody to come in here and tell you, hey, this is zero trust for you, and you uh, do this, ABC, that checklist, and 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 achieve zero trust. I, 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 we all read all the guidance. The guidance is phenomenal to get us to kind of a common lexicon and, and talking about similar things. Um, but I think it's really, really important that um, not necessarily that you don't allow others to come in and tell you what your zero trust um, strategy is going to be. Certainly, we need help. We need partnership. We need uh, to to build those coalitions that we are bringing, building in the federal government. Um, when I start work at any organization, and I did it for the Air Force, and I'm doing it here at the FDIC, I'm going to define zero trust based on those higher guidances, but what does it mean for us so that I can have the entire organization talking the same lexicon, the same de definition for zero trust, 
and we understand that we're all trying to achieve the same goal. Um, it's certainly based on on those NIST 800 publications and whatnot. Yeah, but make it your own. Yeah, and I think there's, I would say there's some good work continuing at NIST. The guidance isn't out yet. They've moved, uh, the NCCOE is doing a lot of work with industry and government. Uh, I think, you know, Steve, to kind of build out best practice guides based on 800-207. I think that will help agencies with their idea that once they get to that lexicon, like you're talking about, here's examples that have been built in, in labs and how to implement them using the best practices. It's not to say that that's what the agency will do, but at least it's giving them a running start of this is how we suggest you do it based on our guidance. And at least it starts to establish baselines. Right. And I think that's what's important because I come back to what I said before. My fear is the enemy of progress is do nothing. And that's the easy button. And we've got to overcome that by giving agencies an understanding of how to take advantage of what they have and what they see in market and let vendors partner with them in hopefully an honest way, right? Where they can help the agencies achieve their missions. So I have a question for the both of you, because we see this on the commercial side and I think it's, it's an after effect of the pandemic slowing down and people starting to return to the office on the commercial side is, is during this past two years, there's been this um, misconception that zero trust only applies outside of your physical walls, right? To your remote users. Does that same, I think, Michael, you mentioned it, right? Is it like the, the level of complexity in, in the federal government from a system standpoint um, is, is huge, right? You're thinking about the OT, the on-prem, the legacy, the push for the cloud. Is that a hurdle that the federal government needs to get over is kind of getting past that misconception? You know, saying loosely zero trust, I didn't see anything in the EO that says zero trust for remote users. It was zero trust as a blanket statement. But is that, does that translate? I actually think OMB addressed this. And I'll be curious if Steve agrees with me. I think OMB addressed this because they clearly said part of the update in the January order said applications need to be moved to the cloud and they need to be treated as if they're on the public internet. And there must be encryption, there must be MFA, but they're basically telling everybody without using the word, they're saying cafe networks, Mm. get these people off of the network. Do not have users directly in contact and and take advantage of, of efficiencies and technology that allows you to make better decisions for how to manage it. So I think OMB has already addressed this because they actually said whether on the in the office or from home, the users must be encrypted. You know that's telling you this whole meth, old methodology of well they're on the the agency land I don't need to encrypt them. Nope. You know they're telling you you must control their access. They're telling you you must move things to the cloud. They're telling you you must you know use public internet as a means. That's screaming out that they the OMB understood and took in information from industry. And applied it to their memo. That's how I see it. But, but Steve, I'm curious if you saw the same thoughts. Yeah. So I 100% agree with you. Uh, the the core of zero trust uh, practitioners, and there's there's many many out there, um, absolutely say the same thing. Um, I think it's the culture that we are challenged with on the the more of the the, the people that are kind of starting to understand zero trust and starting to get towards zero trust. They saw it during the pandemic as a as a quick uh, and an excellent enabler to like strengthen your remote access, replace VPNs, 
make them better. So it, it got a little bit of an association of, hey, Zero Trust solves the remote access problem. And it does solve or it does help the, zero, the remote access problem. But I always tell everybody that I'm working with, uh, I, I kind of start off up front when I talk to vendors. Um, if you're going to tell me that your solution is shut off when I'm sitting in the corporate network and it's turned on when I'm remote, like the conversation is over, we're, we're, yep. we're not talking at the same level that I, I strictly tell uh, everybody there's only one method to access the resource and that's through zero trust access controls. It's not that I have preferential treatment when I'm sitting in the office and uh, based on the network. And uh, at the core, um, I agree. I think the guidance 800-207 uh, clearly states that. Um, the OMB clearly states that when they when they talk, like Mike said, about uh, treat your applications like they're internet facing. Even if they're sitting in your data center, treat it like it's internet facing. Um, that means your your network is now agnostic. Uh, Mike touched on the the coffee shop model. I, I love using that that to uh, kind of relate my message. Um, I think the the guys at Netflix with uh, Lisa, I forget the, the dude's name, but he really talks about that whole coffee shop uh, mindset. Simplify your network. Your network is uh, there to give you access to the resources. Bring your perimeters closer to the data and and treat them all the same. So 100% agree. I think that it, what comes to mind to me is what you said earlier is around, again, zero trust being a journey. The starting point could be remote access and it could be third party users because based off of your, your risk posture, those could be where the majority of the risk lies. But as you're plotting out what that future state is going to look like, not pigeonholing yourself into just thinking about it through remote access and what happens when you bring it into the to the LAN environments. And even, Michael, to your point, right, you talked about you know, big pushes to the cloud. And that was in the, the executive order as well, was basically, you know, we're moving everything to the cloud. That's not going to happen overnight. So you're still going to have a need to secure the things where they reside today, regardless of where they're going to be 12, 24 months from now. Well, and if you think about the distributed mission, let's use the DOD as an example, right? There are things that will never go to the cloud. And then there are things that are going to be in clouds that are downrange and highly private and are mission essential. Zero trust shouldn't stop, whether it's public cloud, private cloud, downrange. Cloud is, is an abused word. It's a set of resources that you're trying to access yeah. and provide, right? So you may see many 5G setups downrange that still need to have access to things, whether that's coming through satellite comms or whatever. Zero trust needs to be that architect overarching strategy and concept and technologies need to be then defined underneath that. But I, I would argue OMB also, I want to come back and congratulate OMB for one thing, right? Users coming back to the office is actually a threat because how many networks have been penetrated of these agencies and they're not well secured at their edges? Yeah. That is a huge threat. And OMB saying that whether you're on or off that network, you must be treated as a guest. You must be encrypted. Your access must be limited. That's them acknowledging the threat. And that's a huge kudo because that's a that's a big step forward. For sure. Absolutely. And um, so if I could add, too, uh, I don't think you'll run into a CIO out there that is not pushing to uh, accelerate cloud adoption, move to the cloud, get the advantages of resiliency and et cetera. Um, so you can't lose sight of your on-premise environment. And by not losing sight of it and, and addressing it, it really accelerates your ability to move to the cloud. Because once you've treated that application as if it was public-facing, internet-facing, like OMB says, then moving it to the cloud, yes, I'm not going to say it's trivial, but, but your uh, shift and lift. Um, can be a lot easier because your security policies follow you wherever you go. 
So with with further adoption of the cloud also comes the rise of DevOps, DevSecOps, automation capabilities. Do you see that you know aggressive IT progression within the federal government as helping or hurting the zero trust journey? And I think Steve, you just kind of touched on it, right? Is that it actually can it can help? Yeah, so I'm really excited about DevSecOps. Uh, I, I'm not a DevSecOps expert by no means. I like to say that I play one on TV. Um, I, I try to uh, advocate for DevSecOps as much as possible. Um, I, I think it's a massive enabler. It's a game changer on how we've been doing um, software development or, or just deployment of capabilities for a long time, adoption of uh, infrastructure as code. Um, all of these concepts just allow us to be very portable, move, um, rapidly deploy capability, rapidly deploy patches. Um, the the concept of DevSecOps um, has to be kind of really thought about. Uh, it's not just that you're doing security while you're doing development and you're you're kind of validating your 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 code. Um, the, the concept of DevSecOps brings sec to the production environment. So your your workload, your data, your your platform is uh, secured and security is considered at all times and improved and changed in a very rapid way, unlike traditional means where we have release cycles every six months, every year. Now we should be thinking about release cycles daily um, from a security standpoint and from a, uh, a features capability. So I see a lot of people in industry or not in industry in, in DOD and in federal really excited about it. Um, uh, it's one of those culture things that also has to change because uh, we tend to be a very risk adverse uh, community. And when you tell people I'm going to be deploying uh, 15 features in a given day, that blows people's mind because they've, sure. they've traditionally gone through a process of uh, we're going to do a six month testing cycle before we do that or whatever. But if you if you adopt a, a pure and good CI/CD pipeline and process, um, you quickly realize that you can deploy um, capabilities, security, maintain it, and uh, again, accelerate your adoption to the innovation that everybody's looking for. You know, you said uh, you, you said you're not an expert and that you play one on TV. Well, you must be a method actor because that was a pretty great answer. It sounded pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty expert driven to me. Michael, what do you think? Not uh, on his I'm, acting capabilities, obviously, but on the on the question on my acting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on the acting, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I 100% agree with it, with his statement there, right? If to me, I think linking the two together, and I think sometimes it does scare people because it's it's a step further, as Steve said, it, it's moving them in a maybe an uncomfortable way. But when you build it into the developer process up front and you tie it to the understanding that these are moving into containerized environments, they're not traditional development cycles. They're distributed developers at that. It actually opens the door, right? Because now I can do very rapid prototyping, not worry about impacting the total environment. And just, it never becomes a question of when did security get added? It's just embedded. And that is a game changer in the conversation for government because now you're not trying to plug the hole. You've designed your box up front and you've put your security in the box and the developers they don't push back because it's not impacting them. So now they can move faster. You can prototype in smaller ways. You don't have to worry about blowing things up because you're working in smaller micro segments, so to speak, in these containerized worlds. And the I would say the key to all of that, though, is something I said on a 
webinar not long ago. It's all about metadata, not to use the word data, but metadata. If your system that you're selecting responds, CICD becomes real because that's all going to be based on metadata and the ability to react. If your DevSecOps pipeline and your, your tooling is metadata aware, if it has bi-directional capabilities and can leverage metadata in its process, DevSecOps becomes easier. So it, to me, it's all part of that architectural conversation, right? If you're thinking about your process and you're defining your goals and you build it into your design up front, DevSecOps can work. And I think it truly can be game-changing. I mean, I've seen it happen for, for different things. All right. So we are coming up on time. So I want to be cognizant of that, uh, but also want to give you both the opportunity to kind of provide any final thoughts or any final guidance um, for, you know, any federal security IT individuals out there who are undergoing this zero trust initiative. Steve, why don't you uh, lay it out there? What, what What's some parting thoughts that you would give to the audience? Uh, so I would, I would absolutely uh, think that people need to, uh, um, start uh, small. Um, start yep. thinking about your problem set. Uh, don't necessarily gravitate quickly to the technology or the tech. We're all nerds and geeks, and we absolutely easily uh, distracted and and love talking to all, about all the tech. But you really have to start small. Um, start trying to understand your environment. Um, uh, like I kind of said in the beginning of the call, what was bugging me that all about the data statement. It doesn't make it wrong. Um, what's your end game? What's the start with the end of mind? Understand what it is that you're trying to protect. And before you even go into talking about uh, tech, um, take zero trust seriously. And, and I'm seeing this, and I'm very excited about it. I'm seeing this uh, happening more and more. Um, it's not a pickup game. Establish your team, establish the people that are going to be the champions and the, the organizers and orchestrators for zero trust. We all know there's a lot of pillars, they all need to uh, interact, communicate. That takes a lot of work. Um, the, I've probably mentioned it a couple of times, but um, the technology is easy. Uh, the culture is hard. Uh, work on the culture for the organization. Um, even when you establish a small team, you're going to need champions all across. So, so start working on on common lexicons, common understandings, common definitions, um, education across, not only for the tech community, but for the, the business tech stakeholders. Um, and that, at that point, you're going to have a much clearer understanding what technology it is that you need to be starting to implement. And even then, don't overwhelm yourself. Um, establish your own maturity model. Uh, plenty, uh, I see them as guides, right? CISA has a maturity model. Air Force has a maturity model. Uh, the uh, DOD has released a maturity model. They're, they're guides. They're not for you to say, I have to fi yeah. follow this maturity process. And uh, so follow those guides and build it your own. And and then get to the technology and start uh, kind of with your roadmap of implementing and adoption. I think that's pretty sage advice. Mr. Friedrich, would you add anything to it? What he said. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. It, 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 I could not agree more, right? Start with identity, set your goals, understand what you're trying to do, make sure you have a common understanding of it. And, and the only thing I would add is don't be afraid to challenge the vendor community that you're engaging with to help solve that problem. Once you establish the goals, it's it's okay to challenge them to say, this is what I'm trying to solve. Right. Can, you, can you solve this? And if you don't, you know, can you come together with someone else who can, right? It, it, and that's okay, right? Because no one person, no one organization is probably going to be a silver bullet, nor should it be, 
right? Because if you, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure that way. So just you know, start your journey, understand it will never end. And what he said. <laughs> it's not a pickup game. I like yep. that. Yeah. All right. So uh, thank you both. Uh, we are going to transition now into the rapid fire questions. It has nothing to do with cybersecurity or zero trust. Just a little bit of fun here. Um, basically, Steve, you haven't played this before. I'm just going to ask three very straightforward questions and you and Michael can answer them. Um, we'll likely have some laughs as we're going through it. So I'll start right away. What's the, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Yeah. So I think, uh, I've had tons of mentors in my life and tons of good advice. Uh, as I think about the topic and the area that we're in, um, is, uh, you got to re- get really, really comfortable with being uncomfortable. So uh, change is uncomfortable, um, but if you don't uh, embrace the uncomfortableness, if you don't embrace this change, you'll never achieve innovation. So if you're a person that doesn't like being uncomfortable, then probably you're not in the right space to kind of be running through this because I'll tell you, it's a lot of of concepts that we're challenging that have been established for ages and uh, you're going to be very uncomfortable. No, I love that. Change is the only constant. Michael, what do you? Uh, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Go back to a piece of advice I was given the first time I ever went into a, a meeting as a young sales engineer in life. Listen twice as much as you talk. I love that. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the best advice I ever had, and it's always served me well when I'm trying to help my customers or partners. Yep. And ask smart, ask smart questions, right? Um, Steve, this one's a little. A little bit more bubbly, less on the serious side. If you had to sing karaoke, what song do you pick? Well, uh, uh, so certainly I'm a terrible singer. So uh, I don't think you'll find me in a karaoke. If, uh, if we both find ourselves in a karaoke, we probably made some bad decisions that night. You um, obviously haven't been to karaoke that often. Because yeah. I don't think many of them are great singers. <laughs> but uh, I'm a big fan of uh, um, Sublime and uh, the, specifically the song Santeria. So yep. uh, it, to the point where, uh, I mean, if it's uh, a, a, an indie band or something playing it and they start playing the song, I, I get up and sing it like if it was karaoke, even if it isn't karaoke. So I would say uh, certainly uh, Santeria by Sublime. That's awesome. I'm not going to put you on the spot and have you sing it. Michael, <laughs> what, uh, what are you singing? Uh, for anybody who knows me well, like Steve, I cannot sing to save my life. It would not help me. But if you know me well, you know it's Sugar Magnolia by the Grateful Dead. There you go. Absolutely. All right. Last question here. You cannot say zero trust. I prefaced that before we started recording. <laughs> if you could instantly become an expert in something, what would it be? So there's probably a lot of things that uh, I'd want to be an expert on, but um, I can think of probably uh, certainly uh, as, as growing up as a kid, I wanted to be a pilot. So probably an expert in, uh, in flying, becoming a pilot. I, I'll probably maybe uh, later in the future of my life uh, uh, try that out. Um, that would be pretty awesome, uh, but probably uh, more more effective for today's world. I've uh, I've picked up this uh, terrible game of golf. Absolutely love to hate it, and I uh, would would love to become a a golf expert. Yeah, that's awesome. They they say that golf is the most relaxing game, and I I I, I, I would say it is. If, <laughs> you're, if you're really good at it, it can be very relaxing. Yeah, yeah. If you're a, if you're a hacker, that's not relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. Steve will have to play one day, as I will say up front. I'm at least a 30 handicap, so you have no worries about being beat. Oh, we'll definitely have to catch up. I love it. 
Michael, what are you, what are you going to be an instant expert at? Oh, that's a, that's a really easy one for me. A kid brought up on Star Trek. I, I want to be Captain Kirk. I want to be a space. I want to do space flight. <laughs> there you go. No doubt. I want to go out and explore the stars. Astronaut. And, and, uh, I want to be in space as a captain of a deep space uh, flight. Absolutely. I think that would be the coolest thing. Let's go find the aliens. Let's go meet them. I love it. And you're yeah. a Star Wars fan too, right? I am a huge Star Wars fan. I would love to be like the captain of the Millennium Falcon. That would be so awesome. There you go. All right. Hey, guys, thank you so very much. And uh, for the audience, thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find show notes and other episodes at appgate.com forward slash podcast. If you're not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is a production of AppGate. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests and may not represent their views of their organizations. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and you've been listening to Zero Trust 30. Nicely done, guys. Excellent.